This is Chapter 2 of Len Bertain's book, The War on Waste Paradox. In the last chapter, things started to change at quality pumps. They bring in a new manager to replace Jack. And the hero of our book is getting worried that things may not be as good at quality pumps as he was initially led to believe. So here we are in Chapter 2. Things at Quality Pump started to get a little better after Jim came on board. Jim came up with some new scheduling guidelines that really cut down on lead time. The piles of whips started to get smaller, and it seemed to me that I was getting a little more done each day. When Dr. Elby started coming in by two or three times a week to spend the afternoon just looking at equipment or talking with the workers in various departments. One afternoon, Dr. Elvey was down at the tool and dye department talking with Gus and his crew. Dr. Elvey must have made a joke because everyone was laughing and pointing at Gus. Pretty soon, Gus came over to me and said, Hey, do you want to hear a good one? This guy, Dr. Elvey, says we can probably reduce average setup time from four hours to 15 minutes. And Gus paused. You know what else? It seemed crazy to me, and I just answered, I have no idea. Gus went on. He said that we could probably accomplish this miracle in less than six months and not spend more than $15,000. Then he said, you know what that new room is for? It's a damn classroom. They want to send us all to school. They want to train everybody. Jim seemed to think it will help the company save some money. Jim told me earlier that setup accounted for over 25% of the total direct labor and charges in the factory. I'm sure that we weren't any better at Osgood's. Jim said that Dr. Elby felt that the reasonable target for setup was no more than 5% of the total direct labor charge. To me, that seemed insane. Then Gus explained, my God, do they, where do they ever find these guys? If it isn't this, it's quality circles. If it isn't quality circles, it's some other feel-good crap. Anyway, LB will be over here in a few minutes, so humor him. Of course, that didn't make any sense. Setup or changeover is one part of the business that Gus and his guys really knew. They had been doing the layouts of new jobs in the factory for over 30 years. But we needed to change something. I knew that Gus and his crew were good. But Uncle Jerry used to say that people with experience usually have the wrong experiences. In this case, how could this Dr. Elby know more about setups in this plant than Gus and his crew? This wasn't making any sense. If Jim wanted to improve the factory, why didn't he just do what managers always do, buy some new machines to increase our productivity? But then my dad always told me a million times, Machines rarely solve productivity problems. People do. From reading some of the tool and machine magazines, I knew there were a lot of new tools that we could buy to improve our operation. Every time I mentioned them in any of our discussions, Jim told me to think of other ways to do our manufacturing. Gus left, and Dr. Elby went over to Jim's desk. They were talking and looking over in my direction. I put my head down and kept working. Suddenly, I noticed Dr. Elby standing on the other side of my workbench, looking over 
at the computer-controlled turning center in the next work area. It was kind of spooky. I looked up, and he just appeared. As I looked his way, he asked, How long did that last setup take? After thinking it over, I said, I started yesterday afternoon after the break and finished just before noon today. The first unit produced on my machine, we call it first article, past inspection, right after lunch. I started producing parts for the job. About seven hours, I told Dr. Obi. He looked at me for a few minutes and asked me if I thought I could, would be crazy to reduce that time by 50%. And I replied, you mean to ask me if I could do a complete setup for this job in three and a half hours? Absolutely not. This is one of the toughest jobs we do around here. I've only been doing this setup for a little while, but I don't see how you could reduce it any further. Dr. Elby started to explain when Jim came over and asked me how everything was going. Well, Jim, uh, I said, Dr. Elby just missed, asked me an interesting question. What was that, Jim asked. He wanted to know if I thought this setup time could be cut in half. And what was your response, Jim asked. I replied, well, I don't know much about this particular setup, but one thing I do know is that Gus and his guys have a pretty good job of designing fixtures and jigs for this job. I don't see how we can save much more time without buying new machinery. The following mo Monday morning, I drove into the parking lot at Quality and Park. I joined some people who were walking towards the plant entrance. We had to wait at the driveway because Mr. Grimes was just pulling in. It was unusual for Mr. Grimes, the owner of Quality Pump, to be here so early. He swung his Mercedes into his reserve space and got out of the car. Jim and Dr. Elby had been standing near Jim's car and now they went to greet Mr. Grimes. Mr. Grimes and Dr. Elby shook hands and the three men walked over to the offices. I punched in and went over to my station and to start a setup. After a few minutes, Gus came over with the tooling I needed and we worked together setting up the run. Gus said, Did you see the old man come in early today? Oh my God, something must be up. Everyone knows that a company is really in trouble when the president gets here early. <laughs> I told him that I'd seen Mr. Grimes, Dr. L.B., and Jim walk into the office. Gus and I finished the setup and I started the job. Gus went over to some of his other people and began to work with them. After about half an hour, Mr. Grimes, Dr. L.B., and Jim came out on the shop floor. They went into the classroom and Dr. L.B. pulled a videotape from his briefcase. They watched the video for about 15 minutes and then started walking towards my machine. As they approached, I could see Dr. Elby with a binder with a sheaf of paper sticking out of it. Dr. Elby pointed to the programming computer on my machine and then showed Dr. Mr. Grimes a diagram. Mr. Grimes asked him a question and he pointed to a pallet of whip near my machine. That was my next job. Mr. Grimes came over to me and asked, Do you think we can reduce setup like uh, Dr. Elby says? Um, I said, well, I don't think so, but I have to reserve my judgment until we see the results of his setup reduction program. I think our own guys are pretty good, but Jim asked me to work with Dr. Elby and see what happens. According to Jim, what Dr. Elby says is good for us, but 
Gus and his people seem to have a pretty good handle on how this all this stuff works, and I'm not sure they'll listen to Dr. Elby. Mr. Grimes turned to Dr. Elby. Don't worry, I'll get Gus to come around. He shook Dr. Elby's hand and said, Let's... I think we've got a deal here. Dr. Elby said, Great, we'll start class Monday. That's the end of Chapter 2. Here are the Chapter 2 insights. No blame management often requires a change of habit. In this story, the machinists, machinists are being asked to make changes they don't appreciate. They're being asked to make a jump into the unknown. It is not expected that they will understand all the logic at this point in the program. They are asked to be open to change, and that's not easy. They feel uncomfortable sharing information that has been their safety net, their tribal knowledge, that has been their alleged job security. Gus and his boys are protecting their tribal knowledge. And they don't want to be challenged about their expertise by anyone, let alone a spectacled uh, consultant. They, want to, they don't want to change anything. Their resistance extends to learning anything that challenges their old tribal knowledge. But at this point of the war and waste, you need to begin to pay attention to these early resistors. The war on leads, waste leads to radical change, and that is exciting for observers, but sometimes tough for the participants. These early resistors set the stage for what may happen later in the program. However, once the machinists understand how the radical change is really possible, they become believers and willing participants. Be prepared for the doubting Thomas. Their resistance is a natural reaction to change. But if you are committed to change, they will not win. A friend of mine put me onto a book entitled Switch by two brothers, Chip and Dan Heath. I mention this because it has provided me a slick way to help clients get a better handle on both sales and change. The Heath point out that change is controlled by two parts of the brain, the logical part and the emotional part. Bear with me here. Of course, change is a lot more complicated than this, but these thoughts are very useful in thinking through what is going on in both sales and change. We all know the situation. We make a logical presentation to a client, cover all the issues, and there's no deal. On the other the person you are trying to move to change or to make a sale has a million reasons why not to buy. It's not a good time of year. I don't feel comfortable, etc., etc. You hear these arguments all the time and you can't see what to do. But the Heaths bring up the third part of the change or sales part process, and that is the path that the buyer or change target has to take. It has to be an easy path to change. There can be no uncertainty in what the person is buying into. Here is the great insight that I got from the book. The Heaths go on to give us an analogy that is very useful. They look at the logical part of the brain as the writer with the reins of an elephant, the emotional part of the brain. So if you want to change, you have to control the elephant, and you design the path to change as being easy for the elephant to follow. It's that simple. Creating an environment to incubate ideas and action and change. 
I have used this analogy with several clients and had great results. The participants got it. For the sales guys at one of these clients, they were able to see clearly the issues that were plaguing them at a couple of clients. We addressed them with this process and they were able to move the elephant in both cases to a sale. In the case of other clients, they were war and waste clients and I was able to explain simply a nice way to think of the process. In the war on waste, we're looking at high value, low cost opportunities. $100,000 of waste, they could be fixed for $2,000. We give people a logical way to proceed and we give them a clear path to deliver these results. The emotional part of the issue was dealt with by putting people on teams with a clear directive and the protection of no blame. This helps eliminate the fear of reprisal. Although there, there's really more to this process, this concept is very easy to explain to people and it helps dramatically in improving the elephant, in moving the elephant in a clear direction. Maybe Dr. Elby could use this process in changing resistant employees that he encounters. Read on. Thank you very much. We'll look for you in Chapter 3. Thanks very much.